says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for the NRL news and sort of all-round podcast is my good mate, 60s, as well as Clint. How you doing, boys? Uh, doing well, mate. And can I just say, we were facing the opposite with uh, our podcasts before with the Thursday night matches. And now with a Monday match, it feels like the next podcast is suddenly upon us. It is a surreal feeling to wake up after a game into Teamless Tuesday. How did you pull up, Quinn, after the Easter Monday action? Uh, look, I think the best thing that can we can say is that it's done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can move on from it. Uh, not without a little bit of dissection um, first for our listeners. But, yeah, look, we'll, uh, I think we're all happy to put the game behind us and, um, and move on to the doggies this week. And before we get into all the NRL news and Parramatta news, quick shout-out to the tip sheet. Uh, sponsors, Big Swing Golf, Northmead, and Star Partners, Narelle and Auburn and Parramatta. Uh, cannot say enough about what they do for not just the tip sheet, but the Cumberland Throw as well. So thanks, guys, and we'll get into it, boys. Hit the stinger. News team, assemble! And uh, usually I'll be the one leading in, but I'm going to give uh, Clint the reins this week and uh, toss him into the frying pan and see how he handles all the flames, mate. Get into it. <laughs> well, look, uh, Teamless Tuesdays upon us again, gentlemen. And um, look, no surprises with, um, with with Junior Polo coming in, but maybe a bit of surprise with um, Jack Murchie being the player that made way. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's probably a case of size wanting to keep size in the team this week and maybe a little bit about the game time that Murchie hasn't had in recent weeks. We've seen in previous years that what BA tends to do is if there's a bench player who hasn't had a lot of game time over a period of uh, weeks, he normally likes to drop them back to New South Wales Cup, play as close to 60 to 80 minutes as possible, get the game time, get the fitness up and then bring them back onto the bench Maybe it's a case of that. Yeah, I'm a bit torn on this one because I think while our starting forward pack is probably its best configuration it's been all season, uh, the fact that you've got Reg, Junes, Lane, Cartwright and Madison all there from the opening whistle is fantastic. I'm, I'm not huge on the bench composition. I feel like uh, Wiramu and Makahesi just haven't been consistent enough for mine. We saw Maka have a good game against Manly, but then not back it up against the Roosters. And then obviously last week... Oh, yesterday against the Tigers. And with Wiramu, he started good against the Roosters, but then didn't have much impact against the Tigers. And it's just frustrating that we cannot get consistent impact from our uh, rotation big men. So I don't know. I mean, the options were Matt Dory and Jack Murchie to go into that spot as uh, one being the impact guy in, in uh, <clears throat> Dory and the other guy being the utility cover forward in Murchie who can play both the edges and middle. And I know with Dory, there's obviously a plan to try and get him to be capable of playing longer minutes and then come back into first-grade consideration. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. We've got four middles capable of playing big minutes in Junes, Reg, Madison, and Hopgood, which means those you know there's sort of premium on those final minutes to split among Greg and Makatoa. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that one. 
What's your thoughts on that, Clint? It, it, yeah, I, I think you probably hit the nail on the head at the end there, John. You know, we're very fortunate that we've got um, some well-remunerated middles that can play big minutes and play big minutes well. Um, but that being said, you know, there's, there's probably a, um, a consideration about managing their loads. And obviously, you know, there's a there's a physical performance team at the club as there is at every NRL club that's monitoring that and, and, and giving feedback to the coaching staff about um, what the players can and can't manage. But um, yeah, look, you know, it, it, it probably speaks to something that we'll get into a little bit later. And, you know, ideally, we would be having a, a, a middle that could come on and play somewhere between 20 to 40 really good minutes each week, you know, whether that's um, straight or either side of half time, you know, um, I, I think that's dependent on on, on the game and the opposition um, of, of that week. But yeah, look, it, it's frustrating the um, the lack of consistency that we're getting getting from those benches. And, you know, I, I think we'll continue to see that um, bench switch around from week to week um, to the points that you that you both of you made in terms of um, managing the minutes of certain players. You know, obviously Jack goes back to reserve grade and, and interestingly in the second row, we might add. Um, but yeah, look, you know, it, it, it really would have been great if we landed Marty Tapao in the off season. He probably fits that um, fits that description to um, to a T. But it wasn't to be, and you know, um, well, we 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 have the size of um, of Greg coming off the bench this week. It'd be interesting to see how many minutes he gets. I think one of the interesting fallouts of that selection of the bench this week is that when Murchie's dropped back into New South Wales Cup. It's then forced uh, Tony Mattielli from a starting position in New South Wales Cup to the bench, which has in turn pushed Jira Momosia to the reserve list. So he's gone from being part of the NRL team to not being able to even get onto the bench for the New South Wales Cup team. I mean, it's been a, I wouldn't say it's a fall from grace, but it's just been a really rough start to the 2023 season for Mamasia, hasn't it? He went from being a guy that was in contention in the trials for an NRL berth to getting that chance, didn't take it, and then just hasn't been a factor in reserve grade. So I think the coaches made the right call here. I think if you're picking your best 17, he's not part of it in Reggie's right now because that Reggie's forward pack is honestly quite stacked. Uh, when you go through it, you've got Ogden, Rodwell, Murchie, Dury, Moretti, uh, very good uh, starting five right there. And then Yates, Keir, Mateli, and Talmud Penu. Well, none of them have done anything wrong to warrant getting dropped out of the team. So I I cannot fault the coaches for picking the hot hands or picking the guys that are doing the job. And in that case, Mama sees the, um, the unfortunate man out there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, likewise, gentlemen. Um, you know, and sometimes players respond very differently to, um, to when they are dropped back down to reserve grade. Might be a case here with Jaira, but... You know, he's also a new player to the club and probably trying to find his uh, feet with us as well. Uh, you alluded, uh, John, to how uh, stacked that, that cup side is. And, you know, there's, there's some players that are in form in that cup side as well. You know, Moretti um, in particular has been playing really well. He's, he's switched between the middle and the edge throughout the games um, this year. And been making plenty of metres and... Um, and having 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 good post contact meters as well. He's got that leg drive that always um, uh, catches the eye of of the viewer as well. So yeah, it it makes sense that Jaira is the one to miss out this week. Well, we could probably move on to uh, yesterday's game, boys. And um, 
it was an ugly victory, wasn't it? But two points is two points, and we'll take it all the same at this point. I think that's really relevant to how the, a lot of the re- reaction has been too, because when all said and done, when you're looking back on the season, when you, you're starting to do your post-mortems or, or maybe you're looking at the, where the team has landed on the ladder coming into the final series, have they placed as high as they should have? You don't tend to look at the lucky wins at all or the, or the ugly wins. What you look at is the games that got away. And there's probably more been more a case of games that have got away so far this season than having an ugly win. I'll take an ugly win than an unlucky loss or um, a loss that shouldn't have happened any day of the week. So, and and maybe it's also a case of I know that Forty and I were very critical of the passive nature of the Eels' defence. And, and to an extent as well, I guess, the some of the play of the forwards in their carries during the game. And I know there's something you want to get onto there as well, Clint, when it comes to the yardage. But I think when all's said and done, you did have a Tigers, on reflection, you had a Tigers t- game, which I think most of the critics, uh, certainly the Tigers staff, have said, well, that was their best performance of the year. Now... I don't think that the Tigers' best performance of the year matches up to playing against the Panthers or the Roosters or the Storm by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think some of the critics can have it both ways because in one breath, they're praising the Tigers and saying there's hope for supporters and it was their best performance and what have you. And then in the next breath, they're sort of saying, and the Eels were terrible. Now, we know that the that Parramatta weren't at their best, but what is it? Did the Tigers play really well and were unlucky to lose? Or were we really bad and were lucky to win? I, I, I don't think it's either of those cases whatsoever. I think it's a case of we didn't perform to our best, but our best was good enough to get the two points in the end. And that's, I think that's just the straight out answer to how the game played out. Yeah, I got, I got to agree completely there. Um, you know, it, it was interesting hearing the comments of 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 Cronk and of Cooper Cronk and Mick Ennis after the game, and you know, touching on exactly those points. And you, you're spot on. You can't have it both ways. You know, you you, you go through any team's season um, over the last five years, and teams that are on the top four. They they have ugly victories as well, you know. They're they're not immune from that. You know, the, even the Panthers for the dominance they've had over the last twenty four months haven't had um, perfect matches from rounds one through to twenty five or twenty seven that we've got this year. You know, it's um, it, it's silly to suggest that everyone's going to be perfect every week. And you know, we 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 did what we had to do to get the win. Uh, your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, well, obviously we spoke on Langford in the Interaction podcast, but uh, I am concerned by a bit, by the lack of physicality. But then again, it's something that's been a consistent uh, sort of, not calling card, but outcome from our recent clashes with the Tigers is just something mentally that we cannot get over right now to play our best football against them. So the fact we got the two points means I am happy for that. While I think the process definitely has uh, flagged a few things I want to see the team improve on moving forwards. And I know that... Uh, one thing I suppose that we, we can talk about with the Parramatta game 
plan is the contribution of the back three in terms of the meterage. And I say this because I know it's on the the show notes here, but I actually ran into a tweet today that was like fortuitously like sort of coincided with it. And the Eels after six rounds actually have the lowest percentage of meterage contribution from their back three, and that's not a reflection on Gufferson. That's more a reflection on the on the flankers on the wingers. Uh, they all sit at twenty one percent of uh, all total meterage com- uh, contributions from their back three, uh, and that's last in a row with the Knights and Panthers at thirty two and thirty one percent leading the way. But uh, a lot of the sort of the high flying teams, Knights, Panthers, Bulldogs, Roosters, Warriors, Dolphins, they've all got uh, you know contribution points at that sort of thirty percent break even or thereabouts. So. It's interesting because I know with Hayes done, so we've got to give him a bit of time to get back to NRL speed. But Sebo's never really been a high work rate winger in that regard, and it's something that the Eels have had to adjust to, and maybe it's something that sort of gasses our forward pack a little bit too in some of these games. Well, you know, the conversation segues nicely into that point, John, and, you know, um, even um, you extend that out to a back five. Um, probably the only player that's really been a contributor um, outside of Gutho in that regard has been Will Penasini. Mm-hmm. You know, yesterday he made uh, 150 metres of 15 carries and, you know, that's uh, bang on 10 metre average per carry and that's generally the uh, the, the marker and the litmus of um, of good return per hit-up, you know. And you know, Hayes, as, as, as you said, has just only uh, come back in the first grade yesterday had a mixed bag and, you know, had some nice touches, had some not-so-nice touches as well. Um, he'll get more confident as, um, as his time in first grade increases. But, you know, part of the, part of the reason yesterday, I guess, some of our run meters down, you know, we only had 43% possession. So, you know, you can only be making so many carries. But, um, but to that point, you know, Micah in his first year of first grade um, was averaging 147 meters, I think it was, per game. You know, and he's, um, he's, he's, the average has come down considerably since that point in time when he had that breakout first year in 2019. But, um, you know, we, we definitely need a bit more um, from, from our back three or our back five, whichever way that you want to frame it, um, just to take the pressure off, you know, and, 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 and keep our middles um, fresh for, and, and energised um, to attack through defence. You know, I, 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 the last time I really recall us doing that was probably the 2021 final series. And we came out and we absolutely um, battered Newcastle from pillar to post. And, geez, we made Penrith work very hard for a win in the second week of that final series as well. And part of that was because um, you know, we're getting plenty of meterage out of the back from, from Gus Virgo. Um, Will Panettini was in that side. Wonga Blake was in quite good form. Um, at the back end of that year. And likewise, um, Hayes Dunster was, um, prior to his, um, his, his triple knee injury, um, in quite good um, meter-making form. So, look, we, we've got some players there to do that, do, do that work. And, you know, Bailey Simonson someone who has the potential to do that as well. But we don't have that out-and-out big body the way we used to with Fergo, who will take that, that ugly second, um, second hit-up and come out the other side with the quick play of the ball. Uh, but I suppose um, but it was all, we've also seen with Penrith, it's not a matter of being big bodies too, it's just a matter of willingness because To'o and Taruva aren't exactly giants, but they just you know shoulder a lot of work. So I don't know if it's a paramedic game plan or we just need to you know sort of cattle prod the wingers to get in there and say, come on, boys, take a hit up. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those ones where, like I said, maybe it's a different style for Parramatta, but it does put a lot of extra pressure and, and load on that forward pack in the tight contests. 
Yeah, and I I don't know whether they're we're that different in the game plan because you're seeing our wingers and centres coming in for those early carries. It's just that the effectiveness is, effectiveness is nowhere near what it is for other teams. And I, I guess that's up to the coaches to sort out the reason why. I mean, our but, average play of the ball speed is consistently solving our opponents too, which means they can load up uh, in those situations. Mm. That, 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 that's a, not just Parramatta problem. That's a multitude of factors. Like we said, the Eels tend to be very disciplined in defense and will peel off to avoid giving away the penalties, whereas our opposition tend to be able to get away with uh, pushing the limits and uh, you know really squeezing us in the ruck sometimes. So that's also a factor in that in that sort of uh, expanded consideration. But it is frustrating when you, you see you know the Eels who you know in a for a long time had such dominant wingers contributing massively. Where you go back to in modern times, Eric Grove Jr. Not the guru himself, but you know, uh, Eric Grove Jr. was good at that. Obviously, Semi was outstanding. So we've had big contributors in that regard, and it's just right now we don't, and it's just interesting. Well, by way of segue, is it solved by recruitment? Yeah, look, potentially. Um, you know, there's there's some strategic elements there that's probably part of the discussion, as um, as John was starting to touch on, but. Look, we're currently sitting at 27 um, in in a top 30 roster. We reportedly approached Dom Young, which was understandably rejected um, over the course of the last fortnight. Do we look to get an outside back or specifically a a winger to solve those problems? Gents, if if it were up to you, how would you go about it? I I know that there were mitigating factors this year or coming into this year in regards to having to get Dylan and Mitch signed up alongside some other players, including Will Penasini. But I think there's there's been a real important teaching moment here for the Recruitment Retention Committee in that you cannot go into a NRL season as a contender with that many top... And this is also budging for the fact that they were expecting Nathan Brown to depart the club. Uh, with that many top 30 spots open, it just hamstrings you too much if there is any sort of run on injuries in the same spot or if you feel like you're one X-Factor player short. And uh, right now... Uh, I know that the, the, the balance of the team looks a lot better. We're getting players back, but that whole sort of argument about recruiting an X-Factor player, well, I mean, maybe we need to be more aggressive because, yeah, right now we're, we're sort of looking for either off-cuts and slim pickings or trying to coax a player into breaking contract. So it's tough, but, yeah, I, like I said, maybe there's a teaching moment there. Yeah, and I, I think added to that teaching moment is the fact that we were coming into the season with known injuries to Hayes Dunster and Bailey Simonson, which was going to leave our our stocks even thinner when you consider that we weren't at a full roster as it was. So, But then there's also been the, and I don't know whether this is factual or not, the reported approach to the Knights to give us Dom Young for the rest of the season. That's brazen and aggressive and you can't fault it, but it's also not a long-term plan, so... That you, you make that move and don't complain, but you know that it's a short term, not all in on 2023, but uh, in terms of just that particular part, that little slice is all in. So, yeah, I'm not upset about making that move, but you, you know, in an ideal circumstance, you can find a player that can contribute now and into the future, which maybe the parameters just can't do because of the market. Well, again, if it's true, was it ever any hope of happening? Yeah. But yeah, all the players have been linked to sort of, uh, obviously Dom Young was more tenuous, but I saw that today, 
Jaden Campbell has rejected any sort of notion of joining the club, uh, and he was a player that uh, could be an X factor, but obviously comes in a light body. And the other player we've been linked to was Dane Laurie, and he's someone that we just saw play a pretty ordinary game in reserve grade, but you know, obviously being buried at the Tigers doesn't necessarily do wonders for your morale. But yeah, and he, was surprisingly run down by Jordan Rankin. By Jordan Rankin, yeah. I saw Matthew Komalafi come from the other side of the field and was not surprised, but Jordan Rankin gunning him down wasn't a great look for him. But yeah, it, it just we're sort of backed into a corner here, aren't we? There aren't options on the market. We seem to have a, a I wouldn't call it a war chest, but we have a bit of cash to make, you know, a, a, an impact signing. But it, the market isn't playing to our hand, and it's very very frustrating. So do you settle? Do you just go and find a guy that can be a body or maybe compete for spots on the lower end, or do you hold to your guns here and look to try and make a big play? I don't know. Because we, we sort of need something now, but by doing that, you're not really getting something that's going to move the needle on winning the premiership. And I guess the other question is too, how long are we allowed to sit on 27 I don't I don't understand the rules because by what was uh, divulged to the public back when they made the top 30 changes... Uh, we needed to have 29 as of round one, I'm pretty certain. So obviously there's some sort of leniency or provisions being made uh, for the Eels, but I don't even know if there's any sort of punishment mechanics because you're actively hurting yourself. It's not like you're cheating. You're actually hurting yourself by having a, a top 27 and not a top 30. So I don't know what's going on there. I think no, there's I, something I to be said in the um, from a fan engagement perspective at the very least that uh, we get information on um, and, and understanding on how that works because, you know, for, for fans wanting to understand how their squads are formed and, and, and what decisions they can potentially make. And we all like to put the, um, the salary cap managers uh, hat on for, for our, our respective clubs and other clubs for that matter. But, you know, look, the money, as we said, is there. So something has to happen with it in some, um, some fashion. Uh, Craig, you're going to chime in? Uh, I, I'm just, I'm as much in the dark about everything that's going on as I think any other fan is because you, it can't, it's not helping our cause for the team to be sitting at 27 on the roster. And the, obviously the easy solution for the club would be to upgrade players, but that's not changing the roster in any way, really, is it? It's just making players available a few weeks earlier than they were going to be available anyway. Yeah, so, and we're, we're three weeks away from that being the case now. With, yeah. Um, with, with round 10 past approaching. And you know, it's, it's probably worth also noting as well, gentlemen, yes, we're at 27, but we've got um, two players within our, our, our top 27 now who um, aren't playing New South Wales Cup at all in Gyra and Sam. So are we effectively operating with 25 plus a couple of extras? Yeah, fair point. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hadn't even considered it from that perspective, but that is the case. And we have, an, you know, quite a few second-tier players who are doing the job in the new, at New South Wales Cup level and, uh, and actually in NRL level as well with Brendan Hands. And, yeah, it's... Is that is that the situation that we should be in? I, I think, I think we know that, in from a club's wish list wish list perspective, they want to strike outside back, they want a middle. I don't know what they would be thinking with the other player. Maybe they have that 
just want to keep that up their sleeve to see does someone become available in the middle of the season. That's generally what most clubs do. But to your point as well, Clint, about supporters being in the dark about this, uh, I, I think I think that's really important that the, we get in, as informed as we should be. And I know that there's times where we don't need to be informed. Like we don't, we shouldn't be told about what's happening in contract negotiations. That's confidential stuff. That's confidential stuff. Um, And to an extent, I did like hearing that we were in the market for an outside back. But then when all was said and done, it was spun by the media into a very negative story. Uh, very negative narrative. So, you know, if you if you're the club, and you start thinking about, well, what what are we prepared to share? Are we prepared to share something as generic as, well, we've got we've got spots available, so we're gonna we're gonna look to chase someone who's maybe a strike outside back and maybe can play a bit of fullback, and then next thing you've got a narrative that has Clint Gutherson, the the king of Parramatta being pushed out of his his uh, favoured fullback role. So I, re- I reckon from a club perspective, there's times where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I guess from a supporter perspective, we're just seeing every week passing and getting closer to that uh, round 10 where you can use any player anyway. And we're wondering how come we're allowed to be sitting at 27? How, how does this work and why are we and why are we sitting at twenty seven rather than having a full ro- a full roster? Yeah, absolutely. And look, at it. I I don't look to the club for clarification on this. I'd like to see it painted really clearly um, from the NRL, you know, and, and maybe it's something, um, maybe it's sort of like a notice that ticks above their signings tracker. Um, uh, page on the website. It might be very. It might be buried well deep within the NRL website. I know there's certain um, aspects of that page that haven't been updated in many years, and there's other stuff that gets um, monitored and updated um, almost um, every couple of hours. So, you know, I, I, it, just so that this clarification and that there's an informed discussion that happens within um, the wider supporter bases about these things, because as we know, naturally supporter of any club is very um, protective and defensive of their own club, very um, accusatorial towards the behaviour of other clubs, you know, such as the war of attrition of sport. But um, I I know personally, gentlemen, I'd I'd really like to have clarification from an NRL level. So that way, when these discussions are happening online, they're happening in podcasts like ours, uh, it's an informed discussion rather than um, one that happened in the dark. Yeah, yeah, agreed. But of course, the... um... Uh, again, by way of segue, it's not just the NRL men's where we're uh, not aware of too much happening in the way of signings. It's yeah, uh, well, NRLW as well. Yeah, and we touched on last week that um, there was the um, uh, a pending signing of of um, Kennedy Sherrington, which I think twenty four less than twenty four hours later confirmed her three year deal um, with the NRLW. Eels team, which is fantastic news. Uh, we touched on her leadership qualities and um, her ability to play both in, in the middle and on the edge. Um, more surprisingly, um, we saw the announcement of New South Wales halfback Rachel Pearson for three years as well. So two really good players that we've secured for the NRLW. 
Um, but geez, it's looking a lot more heavy with the outs, with uh, particularly when you see some of the movements towards the Tigers announced uh, over the last couple of days. And Raikia Horn, Christian Pierre, um, Navita George, Tess Danes, and Lasana Lutu. Um, mm-hmm. Gentlemen, what's going on here? Yeah, the, I mean, there's clearly some plan there because they've got a couple of fantastic core players to build around. Uh, but with Tamika Upton set to re-sign with Newcastle tomorrow, I think they've called a press conference uh, tomorrow, you sort of, the fullback market falls on uh, Tonegato almost exclusively, I think. So, I don't know. Like, they've, they've got clearly money to spend because they've only signed two players. And it just feels like all the other clubs are making moves and we're losing, not only not making moves, but we're losing players that were core to our uh, grand final push last year and players like Pio and Horn. So, uh, they were both starters in that team, if I'm not mistaken. And I know in particular, 60s, you had a high opinion of Rakia, who was a real goer out in the centres. Uh, so, yeah, the Eels really need to, either that they've got a plan that they're ultra confident, in, ultra confident in when it comes to internal talent. And then I know that there's some English players coming to the market this year as well. They're going to join the competition uh, or the expanded competition. So maybe they, they feel like they've got something there or maybe they've just been outbid. So I don't know. It, but they... Like the uh, the top 30 with the NRL, you want to see some action sooner rather than later because uh, the market is drying up fast. And while we do have some good Tasha Gale graduates ready to you know be in the mix, that that can only go so far. You need experience and uh, you know quality elder players to guide these young uh, you know talents. Has it been confirmed that Ruby Jean Kennard is going to the Tigers? No, she hasn't been. She was only listed on their. Uh, the debacle, the debacle of the Anzac jersey okay. launch, and she has been part of their HNP team. So she has not been listed as part of the uh, the NRLW thing yet. But yeah, that would be a, a bit of pill to swallow if they manage to land her, given that she's the first ever Parramatta junior to come through the pipeline. Oh, that would be highly disappointing. It's oh, oh, you mentioned, you touched on there that uh, I'd be disappointed about the departure of Rikia Horn. She was really someone that I saw as like a long-term franchise player in that she would fit sort of mid-salary range within the team and offers that versatility where she'd almost be like a, a our backline version of uh, the the Roosters' uh, Mitch Orbison mm-hmm. in that she mm-hmm. has she she has that versatility to be able to fill in in a number of positions. She could probably play fullback, wing, centre, and and just really cover wherever the need would arise within the back line and do a, a good job. So it's I'm disappointed about that. It, it feels like if this isn't planned, it, you'd have to assume that there's an element of planning that's gone into this because it feels like we're going with almost a clean slate the way that mm. it's 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 panning out because how many of the grand final team have we lost now? Uh, most it, of them, it feels like. Because, yeah, it, it does. Because, yeah, it does uh, feel like that. I know, but and, yeah, there's. I'm just trying to think because the other halfback also signed elsewhere. Obviously, with, with uh, Pearson coming on board, that's one less position to uh, uh, for her to be able to take, but. Yeah, I'm just trying to think because you'd think that uh, Kennedy's younger sister would probably stay with the Parramatta Eels, so that fits the dummy half position there. But again, you've only got three players at that point, uh, so I don't know. Like like you like you said, sixties. You hope there's a plan, 
because the market is evaporating rapidly and there are only so many Parramatta juniors you can augment your squad with. You can't roll out a full Tashgal graduate. I mean, technically you could, but you're not going to be competitive. Like that, It's no. going to be a very, very tough season as these girls take their lumps because like with the NRL, making that jump from pathways to senior football, it's big. It's very big. And you're coming up against a competition now where there is some absolutely seasoned veterans that have plenty of talent and uh, plenty of skill to go along with all the uh, game knowledge that they've built up playing NRLW. So you, you can't throw rookies into the fire like that. No, absolutely not. So I guess this is one of those areas where if we've made other signings, we'd hope that the club would announce it sooner rather than later because it's not going to be long before they start their preseason. So they can't leave it too much later before uh, making those announcements. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm boldly assuming that there's been some signatures that have been secured and just haven't been announced as yet. The reasoning for that, I'm not, I I wouldn't know. And uh, because the alternative to them not having players signed up is not one that I'd rather be thinking about at the moment. No, not at all. But is it worth examining? You know, obviously we have a very strong pathway um, with the Tasha Gale side, um, who's produced a, a number of, of, of um, prospects, certainly longer-term prospects for, for the NRLW for the Eels. But I, I did note in the uh, Tigers NRLW announcements of Christian Pio and Lusana uh, Lutu, uh, them citing their experience with the Harvey Norman New South Wales Premiership side and, and playing with the Tigers teams there as being motivating factors to represent those colours and to represent that club, you know, which all well and good for the Tigers. And that they were playing with us as a, as a means, as an avenue to play in RLW. Do we need to examine our involvement in that competition as well? Because we don't have representation in that competition. And perhaps it's something that we should look to as a part of our longer NRLW plan. I suspect that they are, but it's, it's an awkward situation because there are a, para, a couple of Parramatta clubs, junior clubs, that field Harvey Norman uh, women's teams. There's uh, Wenty. Wenty and um, and Mounties, if you loosely want to label yeah. them as, as you know, they, they've they've long term um, long uh, junior club within the Parramatta competition that's um, been feeder club for both the Bulldogs and the Raiders in recent years from an NRL perspective. But from a player development perspective, they are still a Parramatta junior club and every every junior player that plays at Mounties is a registered Parramatta junior rugby league player. And, you, I mean, theoretically, the, the Eels could ensure that their players that sign contracts with them play a Harvey Norman women's in the Harvey Norman's women's premiership team for either Wenty or Mounties, but then you're taking away the independence of those clubs and you're not necessarily helping any allegiance to a blue and gold jersey in that regard. So if I was to take your suggestion there, 
Clint, I would say much the same as I argued for when we were represented by Wenty at the New South Wales Cup level. No, if you want players in your pathways and we're going to assume that there's the all these players that are in the coming through Tasha Gale and uh, Lisa Fiola Cup, that you want them staying as Parramatta players, you've got to have the in-between level for them. They, they're not going to jump from Tasha Gale to uh, the NRLW and do nothing else in between. Like they, 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 all of the female players, until you have a full season NRLW, they're going to be looking to play another level of competition. And if all of the competitor clubs are at the point where they're fielding a Harvey Norman, New South Wales, women's team, that is all the New South Wales or Sydney clubs, then I guess you've got to get on board and and provide them with that pathway wearing blue and gold colours and have them want to identify as being an Eels player all the way. I mean, I, I think we're probably fortunate that we are able to retain Kennedy because you had her and her sister had the links to the Sharks and now they're playing together at the Bulldogs and you've got both of those clubs that were entering an NRLW uh, team. Well, I think the Bulldogs are, are they, they're not this year, they're a, another year away. Is that right? Or are they this year? Yeah, they're looking, they're looking to within the next year or two. Yeah, yeah. So they've got plans there. And it's obvious from the investment that they've made in that Tash and Gale Cup team, because they've really invested in that team. Um, I can assure you they've, they've, they're, I, watching them, I, I sometimes think that they'd go close to uh, making a good fist of playing in the, um, at least in a Harvey Norman's women's level as a team, let alone maybe, you know, being competitive for a period of a game in the uh, NRLW. But um, without getting too much off the point there, I think we're lucky that Kennedy really identified as an Eels player during her time here. And despite losing all of her teammates, has signed on again to basically be, I would imagine, our elite player signing moving forward. So um, I think we, I think there's an element of we are lucky that Kennedy is the is the sort of loyal person that she is at a at a time in the competition when there's not necessarily a huge amount of loyalty in the women's game because a lot of them, this is their opportunity to make a bit of coin that they haven't had before. And there's all these new teams entering. You know, you can't... I don't know that you can demand or expect uh, a level of loyalty. Uh, that's if loyalty exists too much in in uh, rugby league these days at all. So, um, anyway, we, we could talk forever about this, but... Um, we do have a, a couple of other bits of Eels news this week, don't we, Clint? Well, it's very exciting for, uh, for our development teams. You know, we've, um, we've got the Howard Mats, SG Bourne, and Tasha Gale all playing elimination finals this weekend uh, with the chance to, um, to progress to week two. And uh, for those of you who are playing at home um, in um, Mats and SG Ball, I think it's a top six. And gentlemen, Tasha Gale, I think it's top five. No, top six as well. Top six as well. So, um, yeah, look, you know, it's um, it's 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 do or die football. It's it's the pointy end of those seasons, and um, and uh, it it all kicks off this Saturday uh, at at out at Campbelltown. 
Yeah, and this has been, since the Tasha Gale became a full 13-a-side competition, the Eels haven't been in the all the junior representative finals. This is the first year that they've been in all those finals. They were in, uh, all of the teams were in the finals in 2017, but the Tasha Gale was only a nine-a-side team uh, competition back then. And did not resemble in any way the type of football that we're seeing now. If anything, it was almost uh, an extension of touch football or league tag, uh, what you were seeing then, because it was basically the team that was the fastest, had the fastest, fittest players, were the ones that were successful in the competition back then. Well, that's as my memory uh, serves me. Uh, You might... Forty. What, what was your take on that? Yeah. On those first years where it was nine aside, I don't think it rewarded um, the different builds that we have in rugby no, league. Ab- it didn't certainly not. didn't reward the forwards. That's right. It was definitely a more side to side game where speed just won out every time, and the Eels, you know, struggled because they had a team that was built by more conventional football, and they had some success later in the season uh, at the start of Tasha Gal, but. Early on, got cooked a couple of times by teams that had the ability to shift the ball rapidly. So it's good to see the the competition progress to a point where obviously you still need your speed and skill, but you can also lay a good foundation through the middle and be rewarded for that too. Yeah. So of the, uh, I'm not sure that it's been updated. I checked earlier this morning on the draw for this week, but they didn't have any uh, times or matches confirmed. We we know who the Eels are going to be playing. But uh, in terms of the times at Campbelltown, it wasn't. I, I don't know that that was necessarily confirmed, it, it, let alone the matches. Is, has that been updated so at all? Ten o'clock start for the Harold Matthews against the Sharks, into yep. a eleven forty-five clash for the SG Ball against the Magpies, and then closing out the day of action will be the Tashgal at one thirty p.m. and they take on the Steelers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Illawarra. So uh, early start ten o'clock out of Campbelltown, going through to the early afternoon. Well, and of course, the unfortunate thing is that that sort of takes out our capacity to be able to get out to the Jersey flag, which kicks off at three o'clock at Cabramatta. So, uh, but we will be we will be there for the junior rep finals from Campbelltown on Saturday morning, bringing that to you on the Cumberland Throw with uh, Mister Forty Twenty doing his fine job that there for which there are no peers anywhere, anywhere to what he can provide in his live blogs. And uh, you continue to amaze me, mate, even though I've I've uh, been involved with your live coverage for many, many years now. I still go back and I read over your blogs after it's all over. And I just think to myself, wow. So as I sent you that message on the weekend after the, the coverage at Lidcombe Oval, I just looked at the... At at what you covered with the Jersey flag and could not believe that you covered it in the way you did. So congratulations. And if anyone is not familiar with 40s live blogging, uh, please change that. <laughs> please correct that. Um, even though even though we have got uh, some live uh, streaming happening on the New South Wales Rugby League website this weekend, uh, still check out 40s takes on the match. Might just uh, second that as well, 60s. Uh, the commentary that 40 provides in the written word is the commentary we all wish we heard being called live across any uh, level or grade of rugby league. You know, it, it, is of, it is of that quality. So um, 
do yourself a favour, jump on and follow the players with our man 40. Thank you Absolutely. for the kind words, guys. But yeah, obviously there'll also be the companion streams this week, so you'll be able to watch the guys and girls playing live on our New South Wales Rugby League TV, so you get the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we've just got one other piece just to wrap up the Eels news, have we not? Well, just prior to the show um, kicking off, gents, uh, the club released the Anzac jersey, um, which I must say, um, you know, from a um, from a subjective perspective, and I may even argue an objective perspective, uh, the best Anzac jersey we've ever made or ever released, I should say. There's certainly a lot that's gone into it. It's um, with regard regard to the history that the Eels have looked to tap into with that jersey. And um, I, I don't want to steal the thunder of, of reading out exactly what's what they've gone into with that. But it's something that was I was fortunate enough to be privy to when it was presented to Members Council last year when it was first designed. I think there's been a couple of minor tweaks to the jersey that uh, I saw back then with the positioning of the sun uh, from from my recollection anyway. I think it's moved from um, lower on the front and back of the jersey to the side panels, I think, is the is there's probably the change that I can recall from the um, original um, concepts presented to member council. But yeah, just the just the history that they've tapped into and the the design to make the jersey look like a military well, uniform. It's not just that. It's if you're a proponent of less equals more, then this is your jersey because not only does it pay tribute on a number of accounts, sixties to the military history uh, for both Australia and people involved with the Parramatta Eels, which I'll let Quinn talk about shortly, but it also does it in a way that incorporates it fantastically into the classic Parramatta uh, jersey construction. It's not you know uh, not freakishly or garishly, but it is not. Uh, a way different jersey. It's not going to make you say, wait, is that a Parramatta jersey? This is a classic Parramatta jersey that also pays tribute to the Anzac tradition. So really well done all around, I think. It feels respectful to everyone, doesn't it? You know, Um, a tribute to uh, all those uh, who served during the war and continue to serve in the armed forces for Australia and New Zealand, as well as, um, you know, um, respecting the um the 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 heritage and and i i guess um sanctity of of an nrl jersey you know unfortunately it feels as though through the commercialization of rugby league and sport in general the the a team's jersey isn't quite respected the way it used to be and you gentlemen both know um from many a conversation offline uh, that I'm a stickler for sponsor integration simply because I don't think we should be walk, walking billboards, but at the same time, we we should appropriately advertise the space um, and, and, and share our sponsor's brand, but not at the, um, not sacrificing our own in that. It mixes all of those elements really well. And it, it, it's really comforting to hear 60s, the amount of thought that went into it. And, you know, it, it's, incredibly important and appropriate to provide that context and that it has had over a year of consultation and feedback going through when you consider um, what the Tigers went through with their jersey only last week. Yes, so, uh, and and just for people who maybe haven't uh, seen the Eels press release on that, it's it 
it honors Colonel Jack Argent, who's the founder of the Parramatta Eels. He was um, responsible for getting the Eels into the Premiership way back in 1947, and he served in World War II as part of the 2nd and 3rd uh, Anti-Tank Regiment in the Royal Australian Artillery. And um, and so what the, what the club did is they researched that regiment and found that it formed in 1940 at Warwick Farm, and they served with distinction at the Siege of Tobruk, El Alamein, both the first and second battles there, uh, the New Guinea campaign and the Borneo campaign, and that the um, uh, the second and third anti-tank regiment uh, retains a heritage to the 23rd Field Battery 9th Regiment of this Royal Australian Artillery Second Division that still serves today. So it's got that link from the past to the present there, and uh, it's got things like um, the four horizontal stripes of the Eels jersey connected to the uh, representing the regiment uniform belt that the sergeant chevrons on the, uh, on the regiment uniform sleeve are replicated on the shoulders of the jersey that the uh, the anti tank regiment insignia also adorn, adorns the jersey sleeve the squadron name is imprinted on the lower back of the jersey we will remember them adorns the jersey in a scroll inspired by typography and design from medals and plaques, that the Parramatta Eels traditional gold is replaced by a metallic gold to honour the distinction in which the regiment served. The pattern on the jersey sides reflects the rising of the sun and in particular Darwin, where the Eels are honoured to play their official Anzac round match with uh, in, a, in a front of a crowd that has that rich and deep Anzac history. That's that change in design that I, I said I noted from the um, uh, from what was first presented to uh, member council so it's it's such a well planned well researched jersey that a, a lot of time's gone into and I think supporters can be justifiably proud of the jersey that the players will wear when they're representing our club in that match in a couple of weeks' time. So, um, yeah, yeah, very, very, very pleased to see that. And I think when people see it on the on the players as well, it's it's going to look that much better. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a good place to wrap up the Eels news segment of the podcast. Yeah, and we'll transition into the NRL news now. And thanks so much for sharing that history, Craig. And you know, I think that's it's important that we continue to honour and remember the past, and otherwise we're doomed to make the same mistakes. And um, you know, so so wonderful that um, the the Jack Argent connection exists there with the jersey. Some really really beautiful Parramatta and Anzac history there. Uh, but we move into the oh, NRL and, news uh, now. Sorry, sorry, Clint. Before I forget, before I forget, and I almost did. The, the Blue and Gold Alliance and Billy Richards have been researching Parramatta, former Parramatta players who have served in the armed forces. And uh, that will be a continuing process. Bill himself, as Forty and I found out when we did our podcast with him, his first grade career was basically stopped mm-hmm. when he was called up to serve in Vietnam. So unfortunately, his number was was called out in the draft, 
and I think he was something like, I don't know, was it maybe three to six games, somewhere in that vicinity into into his first grade career as a 5'8 with the Eels in 1967, I'm thinking of. And the, the, play, of the, play, the players he'd grown up playing with in the competition were no chump change either. I'm pretty sure no. uh, Bozo Fulton was one of the guys he uh, uh, shared a few games with. So he uh, played with a very good company. But yeah, like you said, 60s, the, he had his number cord and that draft ballot and it, well, it changed his career. Yeah, well, actually, he's... He uh, came up against Bob Fulton when the Eels took on Manly, and then he had then he played alongside Bob Fulton in the Armed Services team. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and he mentioned some of the players that were um, that were part of the Armed Services back then, and and it was quite a talented group of players that were called up. So he's been doing his best um, to research other players who have represented the Eels, and just and, and more importantly serve their country in the armed forces so uh, look out for um, updates on that Uh, we'll obviously be talking with Bill and the Blue and Gold Alliance about um, getting the names of players that they've been able to find so far but if I can just mention to our listeners because it's not an easy process to get in touch with the families of players especially players from way back in the Earl's, Earl's early years that may not be with us anymore and who perhaps lose touch with the club or with other players that uh, carry on the tradition of in in the uh, old boys network. If you have someone in your family that represented the Eels and also was part of the armed services back in the day, uh, please get in touch with uh, the Eels. Let them know who that relative was and and uh, their proud history that they have. And, um, and and if you're not comfortable getting in touch with the club or trying to seek out the Blue and Gold Alliance, get a message to us. We'd be happy to pass that on to Billy Richards. We have a, a good association with him. And, um, yeah, I, let's make it that we can document the history of the players that represented the blue and gold as well as we possibly can and as accurately as we possibly can. So sorry for interrupting there, Clint, but I, I thought if I didn't mention that now, it might be something that slips through. So, um, yeah. No, no apologies needed there, 60s. A worthy interruption. Irvin. And just to echo that point, if you're, if you're someone who, uh, who, who knows of a player that represented um, all, uh, our, our armed forces, um, please get in contact with the club or get in contact with 60s and, and he'll put you in touch with the right people. Uh, we'll move on now, though, to uh, NRL news. And a um, couple of season-ending injuries to come out of the last round, gents. Uh, most notably, uh, we saw in our own game yesterday, um, Paul Luckless, Adam Dewey, uh, suspected and now confirmed third ACL. It happened after that uh, a short dropout, and uh, his uh, his left leg went into contracted into full extension, took the full weight, and um, he was immediately taken from the field. We saw the gesture from Clint Gutherson, no stranger to ACLs himself, um, come over and provide a a, a, a moment of comfort. And uh, likewise, uh, Jaden Braley as well, looking at um, uh, I think it's his second ACL that got mm-hmm. confirmed earlier this morning. Yep. Yeah, when I saw that Dewey replay, I immediately thought of the NBA and players like Derek Rose 
and mechanically when you're taught in the NBA where you obviously dunk the uh, dunk the dunk the football, dunk the basketball a lot, you're taught that you can never come down with straight legs because eventually it's going to get you. Like you're going to block because it's you. They're essentially like uh, what's it called shock absorbers, right? And if they're at full extension, they can't absorb the shock. Uh, they just and the the thing that is going to take all that uh, energy is your knee. And uh, yeah, so you need to brace yourself. And unfortunately for Adam, he couldn't do it in that time. And yeah, just awful. Uh, really, really bad weekend for a couple of blokes with absolutely terrible luck, and you hate to see it. Um, you know, uh, Brayley's been quite good for Newcastle when he's been healthy, but geez, he struggled because he's done an Achilles as well, I think, uh, in between the ACL. So he's had absolutely dire luck, and for Dewey, hasn't been much better. So you wish him speedy recoveries, but it's a tough pill for them to swallow. And, uh, you know, in, in this sort of new age of player welfare, uh, and sort of you know hanging up the boots before you know your body gives out, and you got to wonder how much more punishment can those two blokes absorb before they decide to call it because they've had some absolutely diabolical luck. Yeah, and these are injuries that haven't really come about as a result of anything that's illegal that's happened to them. But we we do have a couple of interesting discussion points here, Clint. Well. Obviously, the NRL is taking a um, a player safety first approach over the over the last couple of seasons. You know, we've seen the evolution of things take place from obviously the COVID protocols, and that's a different discussion in and of itself. But it it, it, it it's around that time that we sort of started seeing things that the, the concussion discussion really heat up, and that's that's taken on a life of its own. Um, you know, we, we've also seen um, the emergence and a lot of attention being drawn to um, hip drop tackles over the last um, two or three seasons as well. Uh, on the weekend, gents, we saw um, Marty Tapao be penalised, rightly or wrongly. I'll, I'll, I'll leave for you guys to chime in in a second. Um, his tackle on Jordan um, Rapino as, um, as the Broncos were coming for the Raiders at the end of that, that thrilling matchup at Suncorp across the weekend. Um, but the NRL's approach to um, to player safety, it's probably worth discussing now. Um, yes, it's necessary, but uh, are, are they starting to flirt with the lines of too far? Well, first of all, before I, I get into um, my thoughts on it, I need a bit of coaching from um, Forty here on um, the correct pronunciation of Marty's surname because he has changed that um, yeah so it, up, up until the season i think everyone sort of universally called him marty to uh but i believe that in one of those sort of uh club social media uh videos i think he informed people that it's the correct pronunciation if i'm not mistaken is tapau uh so there's more emphasis on the uh the you know, apologies to marty if you're listening yeah so obviously this is something that whenever players update uh the wider public you want to you know pay attention uh, we obviously had our own junior, uh, Big Junes, tell us how to uh, pronounce his surname correctly recently after being Parlor for so long. It's more of like a soft B and being Barlor. So, you know, it's it's always good to, you know, do the right thing and pronounce the, the names correctly. So, yeah. Yeah, we we recently had a, our own uh, advice that we received on um, uh, one of the junior rep families mm-hmm. um, that the correct pronunciation we were saying Mwanga Tutia, but it is Mwanga Tutia. That's right. Uh, so you got that sort of silent N into a yes, and, and obviously the the back end of it being pronounced differently too. So yeah, just one, in, one of those into things. the long into the long long U, yeah, uh, long U sound. So um, yeah, but um, so we'll, we'll 
we will always apologize if we haven't got uh, a pronunciation correct. Uh, but as soon as we do receive uh, advice, we'll do our best to make sure that we um, we say um, players' names as accurately as we as we possibly can. But just on that, look, I I saw some interesting commentary over the weekend. Heard some interesting commentary um, with uh, the um, the South coach coming out and saying that this the hip drop tackle is something that isn't coached in the um, in the game so and it doesn't happen at training and if it did happen at training that players would blow up deluxe and uh, others saying well it's it's an accident and you know therefore uh, if it if it happens accidentally the player is not really guilty of a hip drop tackle well I'm gonna I'm gonna say the same when it comes to head eye tackles or the collision that Marty Tapau uh, Tapau had in his uh, collision with Jordan Rapana, which is there's no intent for a start, okay? But lack of intent just isn't an excuse. How often do you see? I mean, we can we can point at um, someone like James Tedesco who has that low crouching running style so that he's basically coming into the defender with his head and shoulders projecting out ahead of the rest of his body. And the target area is almost minimised and a player would have to almost have a, a low scything action to get to his his uh, his waist or lower or, or legs. And that just isn't going to happen. So... He, he's almost damning the defender to making a tackle that is going to be a problem, but there is still no excuse. Like you, you, the defender hasn't got an excuse. I think, um, I think they were talking about it on three sixty earlier tonight that the onus falls on the defender to ensure the safety of the player that they are tackling. As I said, no one's going out there to to hurt the opposition player. Probably the last thing that was thought of when uh, Marty uh, Tapau was coming in to tackle Jordan, uh, was coming in to challenge Jordan Rapana, was kicking him in the head or making contact with his head. He that that was the last thing that was on his mind. However, it doesn't absolve him from the fact. The contact was made. Yeah, and if you're coming because... in, and I, I do sympathise with Marty because he's obviously trying to make a big play for his team, uh, and Rapana went to the ground to prevent being driven back in goals. But if you come in like a ball in a china shop, you know, flying downfield and, and don't pull up ahead of the tackle because you want to try and make a big play, with the big play comes the risk of making a really bad negative play. And in that case, yeah. I, I think the actual the entire outcome was pretty well handled by the NRL. Penalty on the field because he hit Rapinoe off his knee and Rapinoe was clearly in a bad way. I mean, I know the Broncos fans started booing him for staying down, but it was pretty obvious that there was oh. there was um some some blood. It wasn't like a ketchup packet or a blood uh, a fake blood packet. He was squirting out of the head real bad and he was not in a good way. And then uh, penalty sufficient and then he, did, well, he wasn't charged after the game because it wasn't like it was malicious. But he made a bad no. play in the moment of the game. And it was, you know, obviously ended up helping the <clears throat> Canberra spring the upset because it took a, the impetus out of the last two minutes of the contest uh, away from the Broncos. But that's how that's what penalties do, right? 
So, yeah, I think that yeah. was fairly well handled, all things considering. Yeah, uh, and I agree with that. But there was a consequence for the tackle being that being that uh, penalty and being put on report. And much the same with the hip drop tackles is um, if you if you do something, because it's the same as a head-eye tackle, as I've said, there's no player that's going out there and thinking, I'm just going to swing my arm wildly at this bloke's head and take him out. Because that isn't the thought that's there. What they what it comes down to is the is the NRL assessing where is the intended target area and how wrong have they got it? Like have they been careless and where they've aimed at, have they been careless in could they change the tackle in any way? And I'm not sure that they get that right anyway when they're when they're assessing those sorts of tackles. And I think as you said, they've assessed that one uh, pretty right because they're really wasn't too much that he could do but by the same token it went wrong and it had to be penalized so um i'm glad that he wasn't suspended i'm glad that he was penalized um and in the case of i I guess the more interesting one is um that uh, jake preston not having a, a case to answer because in all honesty when i looked at the at the action in that I thought it was a classic hip drop tackle. Well, how was that not any different to what Murata got charged with? And that wasn't really a, a bad hip drop tackle, but you know, Murata copped, I suppose, on reputation, copped the suspension and the sim bin. Uh, so I don't know. They're quite, we talk, we applaud the NRL for handling the Marty Tapau incident correctly, but on the other hand, you have their classic consistent inconsistency elsewhere. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm knocking on wood because it hasn't really impacted the Parramatta Reels on either side, be it, be it injury or suspension. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Junes and, and uh, Bailey Simonson have been suspended for different charges. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the hip drops, it hasn't come into play for us. So knock on wood there. Right. But who'd want to be, who'd want to be an NRL coach dealing with this or dealing with anything? At the moment. Yeah, whenever, um, whenever the NRL announces a crackdown, you know, it happens for a couple of weeks, a couple of games, and then goes away. We're seeing, you know, the ruck be incredibly sloppy again. No one's using their feet uh, to strike the ball or attempt to strike the ball. That was meant to be a point of emphasis. So, yeah, it's uh, just NRL things, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that point and on coaches, you know, there's a few that are, that are constantly in the media under pressure and none more so than... Um, then hook at the Dragons, uh, Anthony Griffin, uh, for those playing at home, under pressure. It continues to be a talking point. There's suggestions of meeting with um, future replacements. The Dragons um, hierarchy meeting with future replacements. Uh, where do we see this one going? I see this as being ugly all round from the Dragons because the moment that you start talking publicly about this, you're consigning the Dragons to, in all likelihood, losing their next sequence of games until something's sorted out. There's a sense of enablement there, isn't there? It's enabling the opportunity for that outcome. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I I think right now they are riding off the 2023 season. And if I'm a Dragons fan, I'm, I'm really pissed off about this because this season has only just started. And, yeah, they haven't had the ideal start to the season, but they're not sitting down as low as a, as a couple of teams, including the one, the team that we support. Um, they've, had, they've had some wins. Um, they've had their bye. 
they probably should have beaten the Titans on the weekend. Uh, it's obvious that something's not working. But how do they know more about it not working now than they knew at the end of last year? And especially when it came down to that horrible scenario where their players didn't turn up for their end-of-year presentations. I mean, that was that was as as diabolic as diabolical as you can imagine. If if you are a, a supporter, a sponsor, um, you're you're looking at an event like that, and you're going, "What is going on at this club?" Now, is it just a matter of they didn't want to pay Hook out as much? Uh, surely they didn't think he was going to change how the team performed this year because there's not too much difference there. Where's their, what have they added in the, by way of recruits that were going to change the outcome at the club? I can't think I'm of not, any. I'm not privy to the, um, the sea level structure that exists at the Dragons, but you'd have to imagine somewhere between that time that something has changed, whether it's personnel or it's the, um, the stance of the people who are in those positions, because to your point, it makes absolutely zero sense. You know, if there was a if there was a time to do it, if this is if this is a fair compliance, Anthony Griffin ends up being um, relieved of his duties from the Dragons. Then, at the end of last season, was the time to do it and allow a new coach to come in with um, with fresh ideas and a fresh approach and all of that, have a full preseason and take it from there. But you know. Doing this a couple, you know, a couple of weeks leading into the season, or a couple of rounds into the season, jeez. Um, and, and how do you feel if you're Anthony Griffin? You know, I'm I'm sure if you were to put it to him, would you prefer to have been sacked at the end of last year, or have this hanging over your head as you're trying to do your job and fight for it? And it'd be interesting to hear his take on it. I mean, you know, obviously you don't want to end up unemployed, but at the same time, you know, maybe you want to cut your losses as well. Um, it, it's 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 bizarre and it's. It's to your point, sixties. It's disrespectful to the Dragons faithful and those members who um, who have had a, a lean few years. Is well, that... oh, that's that's how you you have to look at this as from the perspective of supporters because that's who we are. I mean, we haven't been in a situation where we're sitting sitting inside boardrooms or or we're sitting inside coaches' boxes or the dressing rooms and knowing what's going on and knowing the thoughts of people involved in the club. Uh, as supporters looking on, we have to feel for the, our Dragons counterparts because, it, I mean, what do they, what did they honestly think was going to happen this year? Did they think that by round five or six that the Dragons were going to be four or five wins plus a bye? Because it, the way that it looks at the moment, it's that any loss was not going to be acceptable in the early part of this season. They were going to review the coach five or six weeks in. There was even talk that they were going to re do a review 10 weeks into the season. And I just think, you know what, that, that sort of stuff, it just doesn't, it doesn't augur well for a team. It really doesn't. I mean, look, we had our own issues around uh, coming from out of the wooden spoon year from 2018 into 2019. And what we knew, because we were able to sit down, uh, along with other journalists, we were able to sit down with Bernie Gurr and go through the results of the review that were uh, independent review that was done of the Eels football program. And one of the things that came out was 
there was the strong support for Brad Arthur and a recognition that there wasn't enough resources that were put into the um, were put into the football operation in 2018, and so it was it was changed, and then a, a strong start to the season, and they they got it over and done with in um, in signing BA before too many weeks had passed into that into that season. Now um, I'm glad that they made that decision nice and early back in 2019, but I'm not a I'm not a fan of coaches being under the pump and having a decision made about their future just a few games into the season. It, it, I, I think you're literally writing off a year when you do things like that, especially if your intention is that you're going to part ways. And I think there's been no doubt that the Dragons were going to part ways with Hook. Is turmoil at the Dragons opportunity for Parramatta potentially? We spoke earlier about filling out that top 30. If Hook gets the hook, uh, is there potential for players to like want out? Is there a potential for a strike player to want out? Looking at that roster, is there someone we should be re- trying to recruit? Well, well no uh, doubt it, it starts a discussion, right? I mean, you know, you, if, if if that were to happen, and look, is it looking increasingly like it will, you know, a, a new coach will come in, they'll analyse the salary cap position, they'll have an idea in their head of what players are worth, They'll obviously try and see um, the, the the points of um, connection that they have with their playing group, who they believe they can work with moving forward, and subsequently who they believe they can't. And, you know, that that might bring a couple of players uh, into question. You know, I think the name Zach Womax has been thrown up before, and if we're looking for a centre and someone with potential, um, he's someone that may fit that bill. Um, he's, he certainly um, um, hasn't been living up to it his last season or two at the Dragons, um, you know. Maybe uh, and maybe the value that he's taking up on their salary cap is 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 more than what a new coach would be um, willing to or wanting to pay for a centre three quarter. So, I guess if you if you're looking at potential that isn't being realised, he's probably a player right now that isn't realising is potentially certainly not playing to the fullest of his abilities. Um, you're probably seeing elements of frustration in his game in his play with his temperament. He's clear that I mean, if you didn't know better, you would say that he clearly doesn't want to be there. And whether it's it feels a frust- that way, right? Yeah, but whether it's a frustration with himself and his own form, whether it's a frustration of the players around him, whatever it is, the optics aren't great around him at the moment. Now, I don't know whether that goes towards selling himself to other clubs. That'd be my only question mark there. Um, and I tell you, I, I don't mind Ravalawa as a winger. I think he's someone who gets the meters that uh, Micah doesn't get in the backfield. And certainly he has the Fijian sidestep when it comes to um, getting to the try line. He's He has one way to get there and it's basically trampling over those who are in front of him. And um, he, when I remember a number of years ago, when he was first coming in, came into the Dragons team, and he was, he was regarded as like the uh, poor man's Mike Acebo. and yet I think he's, I think he's probably developed to the um, stage where he's a more consistent performer than what Sebo is, because I think Mike is a bit hit and miss at the moment. We know what he can do in form, but as we talked about earlier, we're not getting the meters at our end of the field that we need from uh, from someone of his size and strength. 
So, yeah, I think there are players there at the Dragons, but how everything is playing out and how it impacts contracts, I don't know. I'd have to have a deeper look into into the status of uh, who's off contract, um, who's likely to agitate because they maybe have something linked in their contracts about the coach. Who knows? Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one to track and follow. Um, are there any? Yeah, are there any forward? Are there any forwards that either of you two would love to? Jaden Jaden Sewer jumps off the uh, team list for me. Yeah, he's, he's he's the first cab off the rank for sure. You know, there's there's probably if we're looking at our um, the makeup of our bench, and you know we're sort of going down a little bit further down their um their roster list here, but maybe someone like a Josh Kerr could be a potential option off the bench for us. And, you know, we're not talking about someone that's demanding high money but could do a job for us there. Yeah, that's uh, that's well noted too. And, uh, mate, uh, all of a sudden the uh, competition looks even more compacted than it did last week after the weekend's results. Well, the, there's no longer an undefeated team, boys, with Brisbane going down to Canberra. Um, and it only took six rounds for it to happen this year. I think... Um, I think in the previous two seasons, it took a little bit longer with the dominance of the Panthers. And um, and even the, the year prior to that, um, our beloved Eels were the only ones to put a blip on um, on on the Panthers' um, score sheet or win-loss uh, sheet uh, in 2020 as well. So, um, yeah, only, only taking six rounds. And to some of the, the points that we've already discussed earlier um, this evening, um, a tighter competition makes it easier to potentially fill and, and market ourselves um, into filling um, our remaining roster spots for any potential mid-season recruits. Um, a tighter competition and the opportunity to, to play finals football and hopefully challenge for the premiership is, is more enticing. But um, you know, we've seen some closer uh, games this year, albeit with, um, with, with some blowouts in the previous round. Um, has this been one of the better starts of the competition in your mind? Uh, in terms of the NRL itself, it's been one of the more intriguing starts because I'm trying to get a form line, and I know it is traditionally tough to get a form line. But how do you determine the what we've what we've just seen with uh, Manly and the Panthers? Uh, we we were able to play up close to our best football and beat the Panthers. We weren't at our best, but nor did I think the Seagulls were at their best against us. They got over us, and then you get the absolute shellacking that the Panthers dealt to uh, Manly last week. And let's be honest, Manly looked like a shell of the team that played us, certainly a shell of the team that won their opening match against the Bulldogs. Um, And then I look at the Dolphins, and I think... I really didn't expect them to uh, be able to get over the Cowboys up in North Queensland. And then I think to myself, there's been a lot of focus on how we aren't measuring up as people expected this year. Look at the Cowboys. Mm. Look Look at what their results have looked like this year. And you'd have to say they have well and truly struggled. Well and truly struggled. And they don't look anything like the team that came very close to beating us in the in the grand final qualifier last year and took everyone by surprise last year. I mean, is it a case of people are well and truly aware of 
what the Cowboys' uh, threats are out on the field this year, and they've worked them out. I mean, the Cowboys probably overachieved last year on the back of a really brutal preseason that got them ultra fit. Um, and then on top of that, like you said, 60s, I think the rest of the field sort of maybe adjusted to them a little bit based on the tape they saw across a full body's worth or season's worth of body of work. Uh, and they're probably just playing a little bit poor to start the season too. It's just that often it's never one factor, right? It's a, a complex blend of things. And for the Cowboys, I think all those things have come to play. Plus, they've had some players out due to injury and suspension. So, yeah, I'm not surprised to see them struggle a bit to start this season. I mean, ditto for the Parramatta Reels, right? We've also had our <clears throat> struggles across the first six rounds. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, as a Parramatta Reels fan, I'm not super happy for the, the start of a season. But as someone that enjoys rugby league, it's been very entertaining. You know, it's been good to see teams like the Dolphins and the Warriors, even Newcastle, get up and show some fight. So, been been enjoying those games. Just wish the Paramount Eagles had banked a couple more wins in those uh, first three games. <laughs> just, just from a selfish point of view, absolutely true. And let's hope that all that changes this week because we've again got some uh, daylight football Sunday afternoon at Combank Stadium against the Bulldogs. Just a reminder, we are doing the post-game back in Parramatta Leagues Club after the match. So half an hour after full-time, we'll be over there uh, looking into uh, taking a deep dive into the match. Not sure who we've got by way of former Eels legend with us, but whether we are joined by a legend or not, I am joined by the legendary 4020. So that makes it all worthwhile for anyone that <laughs> wants to get there and and catch our our takes of the match that's just gone down. You're going to start being caught a con man after those sort of sales I sell pitches, mate. Come on. <laughs> well, fellas, I think that's I think that just about wraps up our our news podcast. Clint, thank you again for uh, joining us for what is your second inst- what was your second instalment. For the year, I hope people are uh, no doubt well, people would be enjoying your contributions to our podcast, and um, we'll have our preview podcast probably uh, up and available more towards the weekend mm-hmm. this week. So, um, I guess thank you all for joining us. Go you eels, I suppose. <laughs> bit of a reversal there. Thanks, Clint. <laughs>